Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Jonathan Friedland. I stand here tonight one day shy of the 100th day of my administration. 100 days since I took the oath of office and lifted my hand off our family Bible and inherited a nation, we all did, that was in crisis. So it's official. Joe Biden has done 100 days in office as President of the United States. And 100 days is a landmark moment in American politics. It has been ever since FDR in 1933 drove through a huge amount in his first three months in office. And ever since, presidents and their presidencies have been judged by how they perform in those first 100 days. So I wanted to look at Joe Biden's. And for that, I turned to a friend of the podcast. He's been on with us before. His name is Robert Reich. He was Secretary of Labour in the Clinton, Bill Clinton administration back in the early 90s and has now uh, built a real following uh, as a communicator, as an analyst of politics. He's Professor of Public Policy at Berkeley University. And so I began my conversation with Robert Reich by asking him how important is this landmark of 100 days? Oh, it's not important at all, Jonathan. And there's nothing in the Constitution, nothing in law. It's purely symbolic. And it really began under the presidency of Franklin D. Roosevelt. March 4th, 1933, 16 million out of work, the banks tottering, business stagnant. And the new president electrifies the country with his readiness to do things. Because he made a very big deal, as appropriately, uh, about the first hundred days of his administration. The media made a big deal about it. Remember, it was the depths of the Great Depression. Uh, A lot had to be done very, very quickly. There was great pent-up demand in the public for a lot of action, a lot of activity. And so that first hundred days of the FDR administration uh, became a kind of a totem of sorts. Uh, And so that Particularly now, when we have a national economic crisis, uh, certainly a a coronavirus crisis, a pandemic, people uh, have resurfaced that first hundred days uh, and are paying close attention. But it has no official significance. Given that sort of um, yardstick is now in place, and as you say, it has been since the 1930s, how does Joe Biden's hundred days compare to those of... Well, you pick them. I mean, any of his predecessors. 
after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. Uh, Joe Biden's first 100 days certainly seems to have a huge amount of activity, a great deal of momentum. And I think a large part of that has to do with the fact that there is a pandemic and an economic crisis. People are very, very eager for fundamental change, and they want government to take a, a more active role than at any time since Ronald Reagan was president. Uh, but also, I think that uh, Joe Biden, because he comes after Donald Trump, somebody who uh, talked a lot and and fulminated a great deal, but actually accomplished very little in terms of legislation. Uh, Joe Biden's first hundred days has an, an additional significance. Uh, people are 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 almost transfixed by his presidential qualities, if you will. I mean, he he's a very um, humble man. Uh, he doesn't really talk all that much, and when he does, he is remarkably boring. Let me. Put- <laughs> put it that way. That is, I mean, compared to Donald Trump, and this is, I, you have to understand, Americans are regarding inevitably Donald Trump's successor, Joe Biden, uh, in the shadow of one of the most, like him or hate him, I mean, one of the most outrageous uh, presidencies, uh, Americans in modern American life. Uh, and so uh, Joe Biden gets the extra benefit, I think, of coming right after Trump. It's so interesting because we had no drama Obama and now you're telling us about boring Biden, but you mean it as a compliment, I think. I do mean it as a compliment. I think it's part of his secret sauce. I mean, he he says the the boldest things in terms of policy ideas. The notion of, of infrastructure expanded uh, to mean uh, caregiving of, of all sorts, $400 billion for that. And yet he talks about it in ways that cause the eyes to glaze over. And that also, I think, adds to his strength, ironically. It detoxifies. It makes what he is saying uh, less controversial, even though what he is actually proposing uh, are some extraordinarily large things. Now, you mentioned FDR, and often when people talk about FDR's 100 days, they measure it in terms of the amount, the sheer uh, amount of legislation, the number of laws he passed. By that measure, Biden administration so far, I think, has clocked up seven. That's at the lower end of things. Often administrations have, have done 10 or more by this stage. But that is in a way, I think, and I suppose to miss the point, it's not the number, it's what's been in them. And, and that brings us to COVID. It obviously wasn't easy. It wasn't always pretty, but it was so desperately needed, urgently needed. Firstly, this COVID relief bill, $1.9 trillion bill, a massive piece of legislation, and also the vaccination rollout. He promised he would do 100 million shots in the arms of Americans by 100 days. In the end, he doubled that target, said 200 million, and achieved that before the 100 days were up. The vaccination, yes, is a, is a technocratic achievement, but in terms of the uh, COVID uh, relief bill, that $1.9 trillion, would it be a mistake to read that as just purely a sort of uh, neutral governance response, but actually, where, where actually instead there's real ideological content there? Uh, there's a great deal of ideological content in terms of who is actually getting checks and the degree of uh, amount of money going to people who are not working. This is something new. Ronald Reagan, beginning in 1980, 81, set America off on a very different 
strategy. And that was if you were not working, you were not going to get very much help, not only in terms of unemployment insurance, but anything else. Anything that you got that was public assistance, you had to work for. You had to be a working person. I'm afraid that several members of Congress have suggested some proposals that, while claiming to require work-related activities, would make staying on welfare more attractive. Their misguided compassion would only bring more people into the welfare system, encourage them to stay on the welfare rolls longer, and discourage work. Ronald Reagan, in effect, redefined uh, the deserving poor. To be deserving, you had to work. Uh, Now, that, of course, is absurd in a pandemic where one out of five Americans doesn't have a job. But quite explicitly, uh, in more than technocratic terms, Joe Biden crafted a pandemic COVID response bill, a survival bill, he called it, that would go to people even if they were not working. Many people, not just poor, but also the working class. And that's another thing, that he he expanded the definition of who was eligible beyond the very poor. This made that extraordinarily popular, also running in the face of the predominant ideology. I mean, you mentioned Reagan. Uh, where I thought you were going to go with that, and I'd be interested to know what you think about this, is that Reagan famously said, you know, government is not the uh, solution. Government is the problem. And Bill Clinton, man you worked for, said the era of big government is over. We know and we have worked to give the American people a smaller, less bureaucratic government in Washington. And we have to give the American people one that lives within its means. And here comes Joe Biden with this absolutely massive program that he's going to reach into all kinds of areas and plans to follow it up with a huge infrastructure bill as well. I mean, surely what Joe Biden has done, and I would expect you to be cheering for this, is in some ways to rehabilitate the idea of a big activist government and to get people on all sides cheering for that. I I think that's right, Jonathan. And this is something profoundly new at least over the last 40 years uh, of American public life. Uh, You're right. Bill Clinton followed in the shadow of Ronald Reagan and said that he was uh, going to uh, be neither on the left or the right. Uh, He was going to kind of straddle the entire uh, country, and he was going to move the Democratic Party to the right, actually. Uh, Even Barack Obama was careful to uh, worry about and pay for uh, his Uh, Affordable Care Act, which was quite dramatic and quite large, uh, but it was still within the bounds of what was considered to be appropriate. It was not big, big government, although it was attacked that way by the Republicans. Now comes Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is essentially not entering into that ideological debate. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't create the the kinds of feelings of uh, antipathy or fear or even uh, a, a great deal of, of roaring uh, support uh, that you have a, a politician like Donald Trump, or to some extent, even uh, Barack Obama. 
Given all that he is doing and the dramatic stuff that is being achieved, I, I said in the introduction that you have a particular following on the left of the Democratic Party. Uh, the left have been left behind in terms of his appointments. And we talked about the appointments with Paul Begala on a, on a separate edition of the podcast. So they're not there in the room in terms of appointments much. But do the left, does the American left feel that actually, you know, they feel pretty good with the a program that Joe Biden is uh, advancing so far, or do they feel in some ways uh, left behind? Well, it's hard to speak for the entire American left, but let me just say that the people who I do speak with are enormously encouraged by Biden's achievements to date and also what he wants to do, not just the infrastructure plan, but then uh, the American family plan, which comes after it. He's, he's had, he has all of these extraordinarily ambitious plans lined up. They're all uh, at least a trillion dollars or more. I mean, we're talking about an amount of money and an amount of money going into things that average working people and poor people desperately need, uh, like childcare or free community college, uh, or, uh, well, you name it. I mean, uh, he's even talking about, uh, and many people in his administration are talking about paid family and medical leave, uh, which doesn't sound dramatic uh, to most people in most countries that are advanced, developed countries. Uh, but in the United States, all we have is 12 weeks of unpaid leave. Uh, so this is a, a huge advance. It's almost as if Biden is saying, come on, I mean, we can afford all of this. Uh, and uh, we, we have to be able to afford this. We've given so many tax breaks and so many benefits to the rich for so many years, and the rich have never been as rich in the United States. Let's, let, let's just be kind to ourselves. No one working 40 hours a week, no one working 40 hours a week should live below the poverty line. And on those lines, I suppose you could put under that bracket the minimum wage and the increase in the minimum wage, federal minimum wage, raised to $15 just uh, uh, this week. Bernie Sanders very happy with that. I, I would guess you would put that into the same category. You too would be pretty happy with that. Well, the raise in the minimum wage is critically important uh, because uh, something in the order of 30 million Americans get a raise. It sets a, a, a kind of a, a boundary, a bottom, a, a a kind of floor to what Americans, how Americans should be treated by employers. And again, much of Biden and much of what he's doing has got to be understood against this backdrop of 40 years of stagnating incomes. Even though the American economy overall, notwithstanding some deep recessions, the American economy has grown dramatically over the past 40 years. Much, if not most, of the gains have gone to the top. Everybody or almost anybody who's sentient, who's been paying any attention, now knows that. Let's just talk about something that he's not done or not done yet, and that is in the area of political reform. Uh, there are people who, yes, are applauding what Joe Biden has achieved so far, but say there is this limit that the party cannot go any further to the left than Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, you know, described as a moderate or centrist, even a conservative member of the Democratic caucus. If you don't have his vote for the reasons you've explained, that 50-50 split, you cannot get something through the Senate as it now stands. And therefore, people are saying, some Democrats are saying, there's got to be political reform, a way to enable Democrats to leverage what power they have. There is pressure on Joe Biden to, to do, while he's there, while he's got the 
control of the White House, the House and the Senate to drive through some lasting political reform. Are you disappointed we haven't seen that in the first 100 days? And more importantly, I suppose, do you expect to see it in the coming days from this Biden presidency? Uh, Jonathan, I think that his strategy is to get as much done as possible through this little window uh, and do it on a 51 to 50 vote uh, majority in the Senate, uh, which requires that he use, and again, I don't want to get into the procedural weeds, but he uses a particular uh, exemption to the normal filibuster 60 vote requirement uh, called reconciliation. Now, he is going to be doing that as much as he can, and then uh, hopefully the economy bounces back. And then I think hopefully uh, where we see COVID in the rearview mirror, uh, his popularity continues to grow because the economy is doing so well. And he goes into the midterm elections of 2022 with this kind of wind at his back. He enlarges his Democratic base uh, in the House and also in the Senate to the extent that he can do some structural reforms. Not just the structural reforms you talked about, but also, uh, I mean, he's he's starting a commission to look at the size of the Supreme Court, uh, something that is quite radical. Biden knows, and he's a good enough politician to know that he needs to have enough popular support and enough votes so that he can do some of these more structural uh, reforms. Well, let's talk about that popularity question and this idea of could he ride a wave to increase democratic representation in uh, Congress next year? And that would be very unusual for an incumbent party to, to, to pull that off. I mean, the polling is really curious because when you look at issue polling, uh, Joe Biden absolutely is supported by the public for the COVID relief bill and people applaud what he's done on vaccination. And yet his overall rating is, I think, 53, 54%, still good but lower than most uh, or, or plenty of previous presidents at this stage. And, you know, I think Barack Obama was in the high 50s and Ronald Reagan was in the high 60s at this stage. Trump, obviously, an outlier. Uh, some pollsters are wondering if politics has got so polarised in the Trump era that even somebody who's really offending no one and not putting a foot wrong and running a really incredibly efficient, um, flawlessly efficient in some ways, administration, even he can't break much more than about 53, 54. And if that's true, if American politics is still so polarised, is it possible he just will not get those gains uh, in those midterms next year? Well, anything is possible, obviously. But I think that the most important aspect of where the polls are showing him gaining is on the actual substance of what he is proposing or what he has already enacted. The fact that these particular pieces of legislation are as popular as they are transcends the kind of politics as usual, the kind of uh, gridlock that we have in uh, the America of today. I mean, after Donald Trump, and Donald Trump exploited uh, these, this fissure that was already there, this, uh, this anger, this frustration, um, uh, but the party lines now have become so much identified with a kind of a cultural and economic uh, divide in America that it's going to be very, very difficult for any party, I mean, Republicans or Democrats, uh, Joe Biden or anybody else, to overcome uh, the label uh, Democrat. He himself is not up for re-election in 2022. Uh, the people who are going to be up for re-election are people who will say, well, I agree 
with these policies that got us out of the coronavirus, that uh, that got everybody or seventy percent vaccinated, uh, that got checks to people, uh, that uh, that accomplished all sorts of things that the public wants, and that's the most important coattail. He's had so much on his plate to do domestically with COVID and everything else. And yet he has made some big steps uh, in foreign policy, partly by using that uh, the executive pen of the president, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, uh, restarting the, the effort to uh, revive the Iran nuclear deal, joining all kinds of world bodies that America had broken from, uh, deciding to send funds again to UNRWA, the agency that had, brings relief to the Palestinians, all kinds of moves like that. And then obviously there are big policy questions around with China uh, and elsewhere. Surveying, I know there's a lot there, but how, what, what, what sense do these 100 days give us of Joe Biden as a foreign policy president? Well, I think they signal very clearly that Joe Biden is in, interested and, and absolutely insisting upon a rejoining of America uh, into the world, a, a kind of uh, American leadership the way that we have come to understand American leadership uh, over the last 50 years. The problem that Biden is going to run into, uh, whether we're talking about the environment or Iran or any other foreign policy, is that the rest of the world now sees, because they experienced the 180-degree turn that Donald Trump made in foreign policy, the rest of the world knows that no American president can commit permanently to any set of policies. It could be, it is possible that after four years of Joe Biden, a Republican comes in that simply reverses all of this foreign policy and takes us back to a kind of nativist, isolationist, jingoist, xenophobic America. Now, I don't think that's likely, but if I were a foreign leader, I would have that in my mind as a possibility. This is the worry that America has become a sort of more unreliable player um, just because of, of of Trump in a way and the precedent that that is set. Well, I mean, I suppose one of the big headline events was and is this promise of Joe Biden's. I'm now the fourth United States president to preside over American troop presence in Afghanistan. Two Republicans, two Democrats. I will not pass this responsibility onto a fifth to make sure that by the time of the 20th anniversary of 9-11, there are no US troops in Afghanistan. And in a way, you could imagine Donald Trump uh, agreeing with that too. Uh, how, how big a move is that? Again, it's come in these first 100 days. I think it's, a, it's almost inevitable. Now, Donald Trump and Joe Biden were both advised by the top military brass uh, not to do this, not to withdraw from Afghanistan. Uh, and yet uh, Donald Trump tried, and let's face it, Joe Biden is intent on doing that. And the disagreement with the military has been very public. That itself is kind of interesting to me, uh, because uh, the top military generals uh, are not supposed to make their disputes public. Uh, the public really is supposed to believe that the president is commander in chief and that the military just do, does whatever he wants. Well, they will do whatever he wants in this case, but they're going to do it very reluctantly. And if it turns out 
in Afghanistan, as many people believe it will, that the Taliban take over uh, within the next year or two, that it is a, a very difficult period of time, particularly for women and girls in Afghanistan, uh, then I think that foreign policy uh, suffers, that the generals will make it known that they were opposed to this, uh, they want a much tougher foreign policy internationally. We shouldn't end a conversation about the 100 days without talking about the verdict in the George Floyd murder case. Uh, Derek Chauvin, the policeman, found Tripoli guilty for that murder. During the campaign uh, back last summer, in the summer of 2020, uh, Joe Biden said he would set up a police oversight commission. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. Where do you think the George Floyd case, the Derek Chauvin verdict, and Joe Biden's response to it, where do you think that fits in in our assessment of these 100 days? Well, it's interesting because uh, the issue of police brutality has been with us for at least the last 80 years. In fact, uh, in, by some definitions, uh, it is endemic to the systemic racism that America has suffered before the founding of the republic. But it has taken an uglier and uglier form. Uh, Barack Obama tried to use the Justice Department to get involved in pattern and practice, it was called, uh, oversight of major municipal police departments uh, with only mixed results. Um, he did it in Baltimore. He did it in Chicago. I think that at the very least, we're going to see Joe Biden do more of that, resume uh, maybe even to a larger degree. But I think that people now believe, or at least people who are looking closely at what's going on, uh, that it's got to be more than just overseeing these police departments. We have some fundamental issues here with regard to structural racism. Uh, but Joe Biden, in his own kind of well, technocratic, maybe boring way, uh, I think he's going to get uh, the nation's governors, uh, also many of the mayors, uh, into the White House. He's going to be working closely with local uh, prosecutors and also the Justice Department in trying to change the way police are not only trained, but also their duties. Robert Reich, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great talking with you. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to talk to you too. And that is all from me for this week. Next Friday, I'll be looking at a man who has spoken directly to millions of American conservatives for decades, ever since he first popped up on cable TV. He inspires white nationalists, despite often questioning what the term white supremacy even means. He's a man who's recently been touted as the heir apparent to Donald Trump. I'm talking about Tucker Carlson. So make sure to listen in as the political commentator Tara Setmeyer and I discuss the possibility that we might see Carlson's name on the ballot in 2024. Before I go, I urge you to listen back to Wednesday's episode of our UK Politics Weekly podcast as Jessica Elgott brings us the latest on a very nasty week in Westminster while the Prime Minister tries to dodge continuing accusations of sleaze. You can find that where you found us. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens, and I'm Jonathan Friedland. Please, as always, stay safe and thank you for listening. Thank <laughs> you.
For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.